everybody, and welcome to a very overdue episode of the Gaming Moguls Podcast, the only podcast where every so often in rounds we have to take a little coffee break, get some income, and then relocate ourselves to a size one cage. I'm your host tonight, Mark Teske, along with my co-host, the one, the only Jacob Klopfenstein. Damn, Jake, it's good to be back. Yeah, it feels weird, man. Feels good, though. Um, feels good to be back. It does. Sorry for all of you that have been uh, been waiting, but thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everybody that dropped us extremely kind notes saying, hey, where are y'all? Come back, please. Um, we, we got them all. It meant a lot to us. And uh, here we are. We're here. Here we are. Yeah, I mean, it's something with hobbies. I think it's healthier to wax and wane. And life got a little crazy this summer. We just kind of decided to take a little bit of time off. And I think we're better for it. Indeed. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those that, you know, you take your foot off the gas of the normal routine and before you know it, boom, six months have gone by and you haven't done an episode. (laughs) Yeah. It's wild. It's just, it just shows an adult life. If you don't make time for stuff, you know, you can't just pull time out of nowhere. So it is what it is, but we're committed um, to playing more and uh, maybe even changing up the moguls season two is what we're calling this, right? We are. Yes. This is the first episode of season two, which is funny because season one was just about three years long. Don't speak. Don't speak. It's fine. It's totally fine, buddy. It's fine. Um, We're going to bring on some more co-hosts. We're still going to have Mark and I be the gaming moguls, but um, we just like talking to other people and hearing what other interesting people have to say about games and try to hit a more regular schedule with that as well. Going right along with that, we had a bunch of crazy changes in our gaming world as well. Um, Our longtime host, Fantasy Flight, decided that 10 o'clock really was when everybody needs to quit gaming, and it's two hours shorter than we're used to, and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that caused us to sort of reevaluate our venues, and uh, we're all hanging at each other's houses right now, which gives us a lot more freedom and game selection. And I, Jake, honestly, I feel like we've kind of reinvigorated our group. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's a good change. I love Fantasy Flight. I loved going there. It had such a special place for me to like kind of be that third spot in between um, work and work and home. But yeah, it's it's time to change. You know, board games always have board game groups always have churn as well. So maybe with pivoting, we can get a little bit more buy-in and have more gameplays and just be the best versions of ourselves that we actually want to be. Well, yeah. Like for example, Jake uh, hosted us at your new place last night, which was super awesome. It was, you know, it involved a gin and tonic bar, which was super awesome. Yeah. I can't complain. Thanks Kirk. Different food options. We didn't, nobody kicked us out. Mm-hmm. We and we uh, got started even earlier than we do at Fantasy Flight. So maybe this is the way of the future, the new wave, the new wave, my man. We didn't trip on anybody else's pile of games. Yeah, didn't trip, any- <laughs> <laughs> didn't trip on anything, <laughs> didn't have to feel weird about the uh, business model that they're currently doing there at uh, Game Center. Um, but yeah, we're, we're stoked. We're, we're excited to restart this thing. Season two, we've learned so much, took some time off. I got my golf down to a very low handicap, which was really important for me. So um, life's good. Can't complain, my man. A little bit of a how I spent my summer break. I mean, I shoot, I got a lot better on saxophone this summer. That was pretty awesome. My band played a lot, and uh, my trap shooting score got a lot better too. So hey, you're you're, you're 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 trying to increase your hit rate. I'm trying to. I don't know. I don't know if there's a golf trap shooting kind of vibe there, but <laughs> I don't know. They're both fun. How about that? <clears throat> um, cool. So let's just hop right into it, huh? Sounds good. Well, one thing that will not change about the gaming moguls going forward is that, you know, I think we've always differentiated ourselves somewhat on the fact that we pay no attention to what's popular. (laughs) We pay no attention to what other people are playing. 
And God knows we aren't going to review new games and nothing's going to change about that. Yep. We are. This is an extension of Mark and I talking on the phone and talking about what games we played after playing at board game nights. And we're going to keep going with it. So, Mark, in the last couple of months, <laughs> have you been playing any games? Do you <laughs> have anything? Just a couple. Just a okay, couple. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So, no, the, the update. It's now uh, recording this on September the, no, October the 6th. Yikes. October already? You already want to date yourself? You're going to show everybody how long it takes to get an episode edited? <laughs> okay, tap, tap. Start the timer now. Let's see how many days it okay, actually cool, comes cool, out. Cool. Okay, October 6th, 9.45 p.m. Yeah, I'm actually at 99 individual games this year. So it's it's been a pretty good year so far. I'm going to hit my 100 by 1 walking away. Should hit my 50 by 2. Will almost certainly hit my 33 by 3. Uh, after that, it gets dicier. But... <laughs> Gotcha. I'm not even going to give my stats because they're not good, but I played a lot of golf and I played a lot of frisbee golf and I uh, had a good summer. I'm very tan. That's kind of fun. Definitely. I think what we're going to do, that's 99 games is obviously way too many to talk about since the last time we recorded. There are definitely a few that have risen to the top. Some cream that has gone to the top of our puddle of mogul's milk. That's gross. I'm not going to say that. (laughs) Um, There has been cream that has risen to the top of the pile here, and we would love to talk about a few of those games tonight. And, um, you know, coincidentally, these are also the games that, for the most part, we've played the most. Yeah, so completely agree. The one I want to start out with is uh, one that I'm selfishly going to claim is actually the game I have the highest win rate on right now Mm. of games I've played more than five times. That is Newsfjord by Uwe Rosenberg, published by Lookout Games. Newsfjord is... uh, Hey, Uwe Rosenberg seems to make like three sizes of games. He makes really little things like patchwork. He makes medium sized games like Glass Road, and then he makes big stuff like Beast for Odin and so forth. This would be in that middle camp. You know, it's about yeah. a one hour ish game. I find this so funny because this is like an old game for the game group. We've been playing this for a minute. Uh, what is it? A two, two or three years old, maybe? It's not that old of a game. It was published in 2017, but this game is synonymous with our friend Nick in the podcast. He came to the Twin Cities, stole all of our hearts, and he came with a copy of Newsfjord. And I remember playing with it a whole bunch, and I thought it was pretty cool. So I is that? did you ever play with Nick before? No. The hiatus? No. Mm, I played it a mm. bunch with Nick before the hiatus. I think I have like at least three or four plays with this game. No, no, this was, this was actually new to me. I got it as a Christmas present. So that was sort of the impetus of starting to play it. And, you know, like most Uwe Rosenberg games, it's a resource conversion kind of thing that does not involve farming this time. It's, I I would say it's, it's much more akin to Glass Road where you're trying to build a tableau of buildings. Yeah. It feels iterative on Glass Road. They said, we don't want to do that dial, but I love that whole placing of the things with the hexagons or not the hexagons, pardon me, the rectangles, the tangy boys and the cards. Yeah. And it's, it also, I would say it shares some DNA with Fields of Arl where you're, you know, clearing out spaces and building buildings on the cleared spaces, Mm -hmm. you know, plays out in about an hour. You're really dealing with three resources. You're dealing with coins, you're dealing with wood and you're dealing with fishes. Now, the twist that I just love about it is the bit about hiring the elders and you got to feed them some fish. And, you know, after they get enough on their fish plate, they, you know, they give you some benefits. And then when they get too many, they just kind of go, oh, JK, here's one back. We, we've had our fill. <laughs> Do you want my scraps? Yeah. Old people, they give you, they give you their leftovers. Yeah. So what you're doing in this game is you're different, like fishing villages who are trying to become the most profitable fishing village, kind of. But it's one of those games that it doesn't seem that weird when you play it, but the stuff moves in interesting ways. 
like the whole feeding of the table is interesting. The fact that like your fish can kind of go in a couple of different locations, that whole income and their shares in it. And you know how we get with 18xx games with shares and there's the ships are even cool. It's just it's it's normal, but it's weird. Kind of similar to games like Great Western Trail, where if you kind of think about it, where you're like, I've done all this stuff, but it's pieced together in a slightly interesting way that makes you kind of scratch your chin a little bit while playing. Is that a fair read? Oh, yeah, completely. And, you know, it's one of those that it's it's short enough that there really shouldn't be an engine building component of it. But mm-hmm. the number of times I've managed to, like, piece together a little engine that works surprisingly well kind of surprises me for a game that really doesn't have that many rounds. No, it certainly doesn't. BGG has us at 20 to 100 minutes. Um, I'd imagine that 20 is like a one-player timeline, but it seems like most of my plays in this have been around the 45 to an hour 15 mark. Yep, yep, for sure. Yeah, so, and, and we're pretty quick, but it's 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 not a super heavy game, and it's it's just fun, and you feel like you're building something, you can do different pathways, you're not always doing the same thing. That's neat. And uh, my win rate right now is sitting right at around 80% on uh, nine plays or something like that, so... I think I, I this one dialed in. Good for you. I have not won. I tied in first place. Nope. Lost to Dennis. I won once in January of 2020. <laughs> so pre-COVID. Wow. Yeah, this is a pre-COVID for me, at least. My most yeah. recent plays were uh, February 23rd, February 22nd of 2020, and February and January 29th. I feel you played it with us once this spring or summer, didn't you? Oh, I did. I played that. That's that's the defense February of 2023. Yeah, because you're in, you're in my play here. But yeah, I, I played this in 2020 two, two times and then one time in 2023 so or 2022. Ugh. And then Nick tells me that there are multiple expansions to it that all involve getting metal coins. Do you think those are, are available them? anywhere? No, they are oh, not, my friend. No. Heavens no. Heavens no. It is interesting <laughs> what Uve games have become like loved in the ether, you know, or the, uh, the what do they call it? Where it's the group think. Zeitgeist. Yes. Yeah, because this one is good, and you, I could totally imagine an alternative history where Newsfjord is like not the Agricola, but like I'm trying to figure out another Uwe Rosenberg game that kind of took the world by storm. That's of of a lighter ilk. But That's the Bonanza of it. No, <laughs> it's definitely, definitely not the Bonanza. That. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a really good game. I can see why people really like it. It's it's got a bunch of interesting stuff going on in it, and it's 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 a good little game. You know, another thing we haven't done in a hot minute is give something a mogul scale. And I have on our notes rated that it's a 3C, and there's no way that this is a 3C. This is a 2C all day long. No, dude. It's got way this more going on with it than other 2Cs. Yeah, rules-wise, it's pretty simple, though. Yeah, I mean, sure. But, like, the, the rules are simple but weird. Like, the way you fill the tables is interesting and kind of slightly weird. The whole paying of shares and the order operations, I think it's... It's a lighter 3C, but I don't think it's a 2. If you look at other games that we've rated 2s that we may be talking about later, and all those are significantly simpler than this. Yeah, this is, and but, you know, that all that paying out the shares and the fish and so forth, it's literally just a uh, flow chart. Yeah, 100%. Put them there, now do this, now do that. So you're right, there are a lot of steps to that, but they're all very, very atomic and very easy to understand, and you just literally just follow down the checklist. Slight side note, I do think this is... Um, a way that we defer in our um, differ in, in in how we view weights. I think I view subsets of actions like sub flow actions as very complicated compared to you who do not view those as complicated. And I think you view variety of action choice. So like if there's a game where there's 15 different actions or five actions, but each five actions has three different subsets, I think you're going to say the one with 15 actions is more complicated. 
and yeah, I'm going to say the one with five is more yeah. is, is is more complicated because I find subsets more confusing than than individual choices that are more molecular in scope, atomic in a scope. Pardon me, not molecular. Yeah. And it, it certainly depends on how, like you said, yeah. how atomic those things are, right? I mean, a lot totally. of these steps are literally just refill the tableau. Yeah. No. And some of the cards are a little confusing. Some of the fish move out in a different way. I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's a midway euro. I think it's a, it's an interesting sure. midway euro. I don't think it's but a, a light short mid- midway euro. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. I, I, th- I think it's great. It was uh, one of Lookout Games and Uwe Rosenberg's little underground hit. So really good. Well, as it turns out, we didn't realize this till we were pulling it together, but a lot of the basic theme of this episode is going to be the tale of many one hour games. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a pile of these games that we've got on here and, and so many of them are about one hour playtime. So I'm going to make a game time call here, Jake, and let's talk about all of those short games first. And then we'll move into the big hitters, both figuratively lengthwise and uh, brain share wise. Gotcha. Cool. Speaking of one hour games that we've really enjoyed. So when you first told me that we were going to play this game. So I've been like really unplugged from Board Game Geek, not really any idea what games are coming out. And you pitched me this game that was called Bear Raid, B-E-A-R-R-A-I-D, space in between those two. I assumed we were going to be some sort of like soldiers that are also bears or like bearing a raid or something. It was absolutely not what I thought we were going to be playing. So what is <laughs> what is Bear Raid? And maybe you should have just called it the stock game. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of sounds like, you know, it's thematically connected to Root or, right. I don't know, Parks or... You know, yeah, some that, of these that that ilk. It's not a very well bear game. And I know what what a bear market is. I don't want to hear any emails. Well, bear market is when the <laughs> stock market's going down. Like I, I'm I'm well aware. No, I know, I know what a bear market is. But what's what's the raid? And maybe I'll get more sassy emails about the raid thing. There's some thing I didn't know about, but whatever. Sure. Bear raid really ultimately has well absolutely nothing to do with bears. I don't, is there a bear anywhere in the game other than on some of the artwork? I don't think there is. Oh God, bear raid is a real investment term. Oh, there we go. It's an illegal practice of colluding to push a stock's price lower through concerted short selling while spreading negative rumors about the shorted company. But they're illegal. Which literally is exactly what the game is about. Yeah, kind of. But like also... You are definitely colluding. There are definitely rumors about the stock's performance and you're definitely trying to drive the price down to... But you can also drive it up. I would say you're trying to drive the price either way. You're not always driving it down. Maybe I'm missing something in the game, but you're different investors, a bunch of different companies, and you're kind of aware of what's going to happen. And depending on however many dice are pulled out and associated with each thing, you kind of have a gist of what's going to happen with the market. So if there's a bunch of dice for the purple company, it's either going to go up or down depending on what card is currently associated with the purple company. And then you take some actions to like invest and short and all that stuff and try to get the most money. Yeah, it definitely has nothing to do with the animal bears. It is a stock game and you basically have really only two things you can do every round. There's three really, but um, the main things you're going to do is you're either going to buy any number of shares of a stock that's available, depending on the money that you have, or you're going to short the number of shares that are available that of the empty spots on that stock. Right. So if somebody buys up a bunch, that means that there's more spots for you to short and that you can sell them off. And really, for those of you not stock savvy, shorting is really just a fancy way of saying it's a loan that you have to pay back later on at whatever the stock price is right. at that later point in time. So unfortunately, if the stock goes infinitely up, you have to pay infinitely more money. So you know, the worst thing that can happen is to short a stock, get some quick term income and then have the thing go drastically up. But the best case scenario is you short it and then all of a sudden the company goes down to zero and you right. made all in this money case, and, and owe nobody nothing. The loans are forgiven. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Which is exactly what a bear raid is. So I guess now I'm going to get all my investor friends just screaming at me in the, in the thing that I didn't know what a, a bear raid is. My sister's literally like in the SEC. Like I, like she's <laughs> certified and I should have known this. Oh, I'll leave it in. Don't let, let, let all the financial boys get mad at me. <laughs> Super fun game. Likewise, too, this one plays in about an hour. You know, it varies on, depending on the number of players. And I've played it at three and I've played it at six and it was madness at six, Jake. Holy cow. For you, maybe. It was tough to take control of anything. And I got just absolutely clocked. Whereas I did well at three because I could actually, I felt like, let's be honest, Dennis and I picked on Nick. Well, that's what we do when we play games. I honestly <laughs> got close to quitting my job. I was, I had an email drafted to my boss after this game. I think the scores was something like, I'll see if I can find it real quick on BGG, but I think I was somewhere in the neighborhood of like a thousand and then everybody else was at like $12. And I, I was like, my goodness, I could be like the next guy from, I could be the next Steve Carell in the big short. That could be me, you know, with a bad haircut and sitting on the top of a roof in Manhattan. Basically, there's a limited number of rounds. And then at the end of those rounds, you earn the money on the positive shares that you have at the current stock value. And then you have to pay back the, the shorted shares that you have. And there's a scale where if it hits the bottom of it, it goes bankrupt and you lose those shares. Also, if it goes off the top, the stock splits and you double your numbers of shares. So you maybe at the beginning of the game, start with two shares. And by the end, you might have 16 shares pretty easily in something that's mm-hmm. just kept going up and up and up and up. You also have, it's a dice rolling game that controls the value. So it's not purely random you actually have a lot of control over those dice and what you do is you basically can keep some of those dice off of there Um, you can add them back to the bag a certain number of them will get drawn at the end of the round and rolled and then depending on what the rumor source is that time a high number may be good or it may be bad and that causes it to either go up or down depending on the sum of the dice and the current rumor so if you want it to go up and having high values will make it go down, you actually may want to grab a bunch of those dice and hang on to them and not put them back into the market. Problem is you're limited to only hanging on to five at a time. So a lot of times you have to put those dice back in the market, whether you want to or not. So you have control, but only a limited, not not as much as you would like. Yeah. But also at the same time, you can control pretty well. So there's eight dice per each company. And you have a capacity of five. So you can hold over a majority of the dice in reserve, which doesn't necessarily mean a good thing because I think there's an equal split between good at high numbers and bad at high numbers and vice versa cards, depending on what's going to happen to the share price. And the other problem with that, too, is you have to pick your battles, right? I mean, in a six person game, there's six companies and you're probably going to be invested in more than one company. So if you're trying to suck whole five dice out of a, out of the eight for a company, that means that you're just letting the other ones go to the four wins. Right. And then you do that thing where everybody gets to invest in your company even though you're making slightly more money from them, you're doing a lot more effort. And so they're able to do their own stuff, which is ends up being something. And I'm going to kind of uh, do something out of left field here, which I didn't really warn you about, but mm. I don't like comparing games to other games because it's like a waste and consumerist garbage, but stockpile compared to this game, is this game buried what stockpile was trying to be? Or is there a world where you could see, okay, Stockpile is a, and just for, for those who don't know, Stockpile is a game that came out in 2015, done by the f- folks over at Nuavu Games, um, designed by Brett Sobel and Seth Van Orden. And it's a very similar conceit, right? You're a bunch of different investors who are unethically manipulating stocks to try to get the most money. Um, you have a certain amount of information, but you don't know everything, a little bit of manipulation here and there. I remember you historically really disliking that game for some reason. Sure. You know, and honestly, Jake, I made the same comparison mentally, right? I mean, right. when I played I think you, Bear you Raid, have to, right? Yeah. When I played Bear Raid, I went, oh God, 
this is the game that Stockpile should have been. And and if I'm being honest, too, it's also the game that Klondike Rush should have been or whatever. You know, the uh, Ryan Lockett Stupid stock game. game. Stupid little game. Yeah, that we've been like we've been looking for a short light ish stock market game that actually has some thinkiness to it and isn't horribly random. And my, my problem with Stockpile always has been that every time I've played it, it's been a massive case of oops, I lost. Right. Or oops, I won. You know, it just it right. feels entirely more random, whereas good, bad or otherwise, I felt that somebody was always actually in control of what was going on with Bear Raid. And like it definitely didn't work out to my advantage all the time. But it was clear that people were pulling levers and the market was responding accordingly. You know that there is a small amount of randomness to it, but that wasn't the overall theme for the game. Yeah, and I, I think I'd agree with that that take. I, I have to play both of them to really get the comparison, and I think I sold my copy of a uh, stockpile, so I don't think I can do that. But yeah, I mean, I, I I think it fits a good niche. The other comparison I think could be interesting in this game is Estates. While this one clearly is not an auction game, and Estates is, um, I think they're both kind of fit that same vibe of kind of hidden auctiony. You know, this doesn't have any auctions, but stock market ish, collusiony. Yeah, collision yeah. to torpedo others definitely is there. Tearing people down, you know, a little bit niche, but not crazy niche. It's 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 a really interesting game. I, I've only played it once, and I'd like to get more plays of this before doing it, but it's the only game as of recently that's been added to my wish list, so. Oh, good. Well, that was actually going to be my next question, Jake, is uh, how how did it land for you? We never really discussed it afterwards. Yeah, I really liked it. I li- I'm gravitated towards this kind of games, and I did look up this the, the score just so I can show people that I'm okay at games. I had 16, uh, I'm bad at big numbers, $1,625. Second place was 710. Third place was 405. Think if you add up everybody's place aside from mine, I still win. So, <laughs> and I had how many? You had negative $170. So what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not, not good for you. So I don't know. Um, I like these kind of games and when you have that kind of performance, I feel like you're kind of a little bit in, like them a little bit more, but it was really cool. I think it's really neat with the whole dice thing. Um, I think it felt a little fixed at our player count. And I'd like to play it again mm-hmm. and just really get beyond the kind of just learning how to play, but it, it, it has some really cool ideas. Oh, that's awesome. This was one that was uh, recommended highly by a friend of the podcast, Sobi Youssef. And, you know, we were having gotcha. lunch one day and he was just like, oh, you're going to love this game. You should totally check it out. And I went, okay. Hey, Nick, mm-hmm. can you pick me one up when you're at DenCon? <laughs> so. certainly will. Yeah, and there's a bunch of copies available on BGG, so maybe I'll be trading for this bad boy down the line. Who knows? So that's Bear Raid by Ryan Courtney, published by BoardGameTables.com. What are we mogul school on this? We're giving this a 2B, I think, is what we decided on. I mean, rules were pretty simple. Yeah, that feels about right. It's it's not Euro-y, and I think we were gravitated to say that's easier. Yeah, I think there's there's enough not there where people can figure it out. It has a lot of hidden information, which sometimes confuses the crap out of people and makes it a little harder rules-wise, you know, because they can't look sure. over and say, how many do you have, or whatever, you know. But well, that's... And you have to get over the hurdle of, at the end of the day, some people just do not understand what a short is, and, yeah. you know... So but I mean, that that's conceptual. You have to educate them on what a short is and get that through so they understand it in order to be able to play it. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, I, I think 2B is fair for it. Um, but caveats exist. So you have a couple of games that I've never even, like, heard of. And I've I've not been on BGG. Looking on BGG hotness is like reading a second language for me where I'm like, I know some of these words, but I've never seen the letters put together in this way. So um, <laughs> okay. what's going on here? Okay, and I'll give you a second to actually pull these up so you can see what's going on and comment on it and so forth. The next game, again, this is kind of a tale of four one-hour games or five one-hour games, a bunch of them. 
This game is Furnace by Ivan Lashin. Lashin? Sure. And Arcade and Wonders. A game that was strongly recommended to me by my friend JJ and just said, oh, this is an auction game. It's great. I think you're really going to love this one. It's got a Victorian looking dude on the front with a top hat on. It looks like it could be an expansion for City of the Big Shoulders. 100%. Totally is giving off that vibe. Which yep. is something we like. I, I, we like cities. We like big shoulders. We like of. Industrial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, industrial revolution games, certainly, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of brass Arkwright sort of theme. Yeah. All good. Loves me. Loves, loves me playing a role playing a robber baron. So what this is, is this is a um, it's an auction game combined with an engine builder that all once again plays in about that one hour time frame. Ideally, the auction's funky. You're auctioning to get engine parts, basically. And it's a bit like raw where you've got a limited number of tokens you can put out there. But when you bid on things, you can't. What is it? You can't bid using the same number, same color that somebody else did. There's there's funky rules around it where you really have to be careful of what you put on what and when. And then you get the auction, the the engine parts, and then there's a round where I'm trying to think. It's like every you get the engine part, and everybody else gets some bonus for you taking it. So you have to be careful on what you take because everybody else gets stuff. And then you run your engine and gotcha. get more resources. And I will tell you that even though it has that Victorian theme, this is utterly themeless. Just 100%. It's the you know blue cube in, get two red cubes back out, put two red cubes into something else. It's um. <laughs> Sidereal confluence without the bartering. So then I have the follow-up question. I mean, this is a flavor of game we've seen. How many times do you think in our 10 years here that we've been playing games? Oh, lots. Yeah. Resource conversion 101 with an auction in front of it. 60 times in that specific configuration. If you do resource conversion and like some flavor of option, you know, you get up to 150 games. Mm -hmm. I have three letters. W-H-Y. Why? Why this game? Well, I have to say, I actually had the same question after I got done. That one hour play length and a lot of thinking, there's a lot of thinkiness to this, right? I mean, it's how do you optimize your engine performance so that you get, you maximize the stuff out? Mm -hmm. It's a limited number of rounds. I mean, it's one of those that has a lot of tastes that I like in a recipe, yet there was not enough of the right tasting things ultimately. So Mm. a lot of engine builder games and a lot of games where you're auctioning off stuff and there's multiple rounds have a ramp in the game. They have a ramp where, you know, the first round stuff aren't that very, aren't very exciting. Put this thing in, get one of something else. And then there's a second era of cards that you put them out and ooh, now you get one of that one thing and one of something weaker. Right. And then the third, then there's the third round cards where you get two of something plus one of something weaker. And there's a, there's a ramp that goes throughout the game so that by the end, you've got these really powerful cards where the engine's just kind of exploding outwards. Gotcha. After there's, I think there's three rounds in the game, maybe three or four. After the first round of the game, I thought, man, this is great. This is amazing. I'm totally getting this. This will be awesome for that one hour play niche. And by the end of round two, I'm like, huh, I literally Mm. didn't do anything new that second round. And by the third round, I went, Mm. we're drawing from one deck here. These cards don't get any more interesting. And by the way, if I didn't have to buy cards, I don't think I would have even bothered to get cards this time because it's just more of the same. You built your garbage. You're, you're stuck with your garbage. Yeah. I found it to be incredibly flat over the play of the game that, you know, you could maybe tweak out a card here and there. But by the time you were into the end of the third round, I, w- I was really kind of questioning why that third round existed. Mm, which is not what you want. No. 
So yeah. And anyway, I didn't dislike it. I thought it was, I thought it was a fine game. I loved the first round. I definitely, it went from I'm auto buying this to hmm. I'm probably good not owning this. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there's, there's the thing, you know, people saying games that tell stories and games that progress and have a change, whether it be a civilization style game or something like that, or even just, Hey, hack 18 XX eats rusting four trains. That's a story. Mm-hmm. Yes. But if yeah, you have an sure. action to buy a paper mill in the first round and you're just stuck with your paper mill, are you telling a story or are you just milking something? And if it's just to milk cows, that's fine. We all need milk, you know, but I don't know. I, I understand yeah. why that could be a concern. Now, having said that, I think that all of my concerns with the game could absolutely be fixed with an expansion. Like if they added an expansion that added a storyline and a ramp and power to the cards, I would definitely look at it again. There's some interesting ideas there, but till they fix that part, I don't know. So designers, if you're listening, variety of cards that get more powerful over the course of the game. There's there's nothing wrong with a game being a, a game on a pile of games, you know? Some people like, I have a bunch of games that just were on my pile early enough. And so they're just stuck as my game. And uh, that's fine. This is probably for a bunch of people. I know we talk about this a bunch, but we brought this up in the podcast, wherever um, you'd see a collection post and you'd see like a handful of games and it'd like be like an archaeologist picking up certain carbon marks on like on some sort of vase or something. And you can pick up how old something is. I feel like there's some games like this one where you can be like, oh, they got into games then. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> where it's like it's a good game and there's no real complaints but if you'd been playing games earlier or playing games later you probably wouldn't own it well and i'm gonna actually go on a tangent on that one too the other one i love is when you see the pile of games for sale and they're all just super random and you're like oh these are the games you bought when you were trying to figure out what kind of games you like mm-hmm. and now you decide you don't like them so mm-hmm. <laughs> you know where it's like uh here's a miniatures game here's a total themeless abstract there's a collectible card game <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. There's a couple of Midway Euros. There's there's a couple of Ameritrash games. There's a chopping wood game. You know. Yep. Yep. So anyway, I would rate this one weight wise. This is a two C. It was pretty easy to play. It actually is pretty crunchy and pretty thinky. I mean, I think it plays heavy on the C side, but I didn't get a chance to try it. But I, I have no issues with it. It is a kind of beigey looking play to beige. So don't know if it's really captivating me, but. Who knows? If somebody really loves it, I'm not going to say no. I will say it is beautifully produced. Oh, good. Yeah, the pictures on BGG make it look a little flat, a little, little beigey. Yeah, no, they, the, the quality of the components is great. Like what I'd imagine like a fish and chips meal would be like, just a big old plate of beige. But <laughs> Every dinner in Sweden? Yeah, pretty much. Big old plate of pierogies <laughs> doing Ukrainian food too. <laughs> All right, well, that's that's Furnace by Ivan Lashin, Lashin, and published by Arcane Wonders, giving it a two Charlie on the mogul scale. All right, I will try to say this one so I will get in trouble by the believe Japan. And you can just have Japan not get mad at you. Shinkansen 0K. Uh, so I'm <laughs> I'm good on every word but the last one. Shinkansen 0K or 0 0 key. Japanese so friends, help us. K K E I is a category of car. At least that's how I've heard it said. K cars. Sure. Um so there is the the Japanese city car um, micro car thing that are regrettably illegal to import to Minnesota. You can only use them for off-road vehicles because I was thinking about buying one because they're super cool. Well, and, and, and honestly, you, you probably nailed it because that thematically is right on pace with what the game is about. So, Oh, explain um, it to me. Yeah. So Shinkansen is the bullet train that runs in, runs in mm, Japan. Okay. And the theme of the game, it's, it's, it's a train game, but it's really not a train game. Okay. 
So what happens is you're actually trying to build the rail line for the 1964 Olympics Oh, is, is what you're actually doing. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to clear space for the track and lay the track and build stations in opportune points. And every round, I think there's typically five rounds somewhere in there. Um, you start with just the head of an engine and a tail of the engine. And those are action placement spots. And everybody has the same tail that involves just getting more money, basically. And then everybody has a different engine. And you can either use your engine, in which case you pay the bank, or you can use somebody else's engine, in which case you pay them and you get their action. And those actions are pretty simple at the beginning, like clear space for a track, lay a track, place a station. Gotcha. Each round, then, a tableau of new train cars comes out that you basically draft and you add those to your train in order to give yourself additional actions. And then those, so your action tableau is basically your train that gets longer. There's a city or one or two cities on each card. You're trying to get your train in order so that the cities are in order. And if you score completed stations in line with your cities that are in line in your train, you score a bunch of extra points at the end of the game. Mm. One of the really difficult little things. So you're trying to not only complete the stations for the cars that you have, you're also trying to reorder your train to score the bonus points so that they're in order. Mm. Um, by the way, if you have the car and a station is built and there's no track to it, you score negative points. Oops, mm. that's bad. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's a really funky game that's kind of that's really hard to figure out how. The other thing that's really nifty about it is it plays in about an hour and gameplays are wildly different on it because depending on the, the player size, you lay out some round cards and those round cards mm. have a bunch of things like they have a rule that's in play for only that round. It also has what the current market cost is for laying track and also how many victory points because that shifts throughout the course of the game. So it's a timing thing that like if I got to build a bunch of track, I want to save it for turn three because it's going to get cheap then. But I'm not also not going to earn victory points. But depending on the powers of the card, there's also a number of yen that you start with on each, in the corner of each card. So you can have a setup that's incredibly rich or a setup that's incredibly poor. So if you have a bunch of really powerful actions, you may only start with five yen, or it might be five really weak actions, but you start with 15 yen or something like that. So how those two games play out is super, super different. Right. Um, just, just by the opening flop of the actions that you have available for you. Very neat. So I did some Googling. A zero K is a category of train. Okay. That was a first generation of Shinkansen train sets built to run on Japan's Takedo Shinkansen high-speed line, which opened in 1964. The last remaining of these train sets were withdrawn in 2008. And that's exactly what you're doing in the game is trying to build from oh, it's build that train line. How perfect is that? So looking at kind of the category of games, I was looking at BJ to see the other games that fans also like. And there are a lot of games I've kind of had on my radar but never purchased or have played. We got the Red Cathedral. That's like one of those like older Euro games I've kind of always seen. And that's mm -hmm. what at least this seems like to me, where it's like almost so easy to understand, but yet complicated at the same time that it feels unlike other games. Am, am, I, am I reading how you're describing it right or no? Yeah. Yeah. It's rules wise. It's not very difficult to learn how to play. And it's all, you know, the iconography is really good. Right. The layers of thinkiness. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of things you're trying to do. You're trying to build these rail lines. You're trying to maximize the points in the station. You're also fighting over there's this triple track on the values of those stations. Right. So and it's not just how high they get up. It's one of those that like 
the gold station, whichever the one's the highest one, each of your stations on a completed line that you have a train car for that one will score six or negative six if, it, if the rail isn't complete. If you're in second place on that one, it'll score three. And if it's in third place, you score one. So you're constantly trying to push the value of the stations that you have a lot of that are match your train cars up higher. So you're fighting over that. You're fighting over getting the good train cars. You're fighting mm-hmm. over the three Olympic venues. I didn't talk about that. That's an action right. area that you can take an action to do stuff on an Olympic venue, which some of them are like take money. Some of them are maybe buy an extra train car. There's there's a, there's three different ones every time. Those also score like their train cars that match completed stations. So there's a lot of things to do. And by the way, I think an average game, you have less than 20 actions total. Wow. So you actually kind of get these X, these big wooden X's that when you take an action, when it's your turn, you just get the stack of the number of X's that you're going to play. So if it's three actions that turn, you get three X's. And then when you take the action, you just put the big wooden X on there to show that you've taken that one and can't take it again. And then when you're done, you just hand the stack of X's to the next person. Gotcha. Yeah, that's it's it seems neat. It seems like a category of game that I've never put together in my head yet, but is something I really enjoy where it's like. I don't want to say old euros because that's not true. There's new ones that have been put out where it's just like a really thinky, interesting game falls away quickly, interactive, but not like Euro and or not like um Ameritrash interactive where you're like attacking each other, but just a cool game with with interesting ideas without just resting on one interesting me- mechanism, right? Yeah. It's, neat. it's very puzzly, yet it is quite interactive because there's majority bonuses on each of the Olympic venues. There's also, you know, trying to fight over the value of stations because you can make somebody's stations worth absolutely nothing. Um, There's also trying to claim the stations because the first stations out are worth a lot more than the later stations. I mean, it's there's a lot going on in a one hour playtime in this game for, like I said, a game that's pretty easy to explain the rules on. And I was totally wrong on the Red Cathedral. It's not an old game. That's from like 2020. The art just looks like one of one. So, you know, we used to travel for work and we'd try to get um, games from places that weren't published here. And then we all kind of realized that that's not really worth it anymore because it seems like the U.S. market gets all the games. There's this company, I think, Devere, that was Spanish only, I believe, or something like that. And I think they do a lot of Spanish translations of games. And so when I was in Spain, I would check out board game stores, and I think I found some Devere games. And so that's who published or who this design duo has had a lot of their games published under. Oh, cool. Kind of cool. Cool. And it, it it's also a small box, too. It's in the same size box as bear raid and uh you know it's in in furnace for that matter i mean it's a pretty small box it looks like it should be a japanese game totally not <laughs> right done by two spanish people in madrid yeah so very cool i'm gonna bring this one up next time we get together and play games and uh hopefully we can find a niche to actually play this one because i think you'll enjoy this it's it's really been a hit for yeah, us this spring it seems neat yeah i mean I, th- I think it's good and i think a lot of the times those kind of filler train games offer this but they don't have to be train games to offer a lot of the things that we like about train games, right? Right. And while this is a train game, I think it's probably not in its own way, too. So, cool. Very, very neat. What would you give it on the Mogul scale, buddy? We're giving that a 2C. And it's actually probably 2.5C.5, if I'm going to be honest. It's it's a strong 2 and it's a strong C. We've had a lot of those today. Seems like a lot of those um, in-betweeners. We might be rusty in our grading. <laughs> Couldn't be that, too. We're just, we're just all laissez-faire <laughs> over here giving all these half adjustments. Res Arcana has been a game that we've been just really obsessed about. Kind of the last thing before I took the summer off of gaming, um, I was full hogged to this game. Is that fair? Probably shouldn't say full hogged. Um, I was fully committed to this game. Sure. I think I've heard you. I think I heard this, the quote, Res's life more than a few times. 
Yeah, I was also just saying it because it bugged you. It was pretty great. So Res Arcana is a game by our Lord and Savior, Thomas Lehman, published by Sandcastle Games. Um, right, Jake, what else is Thomas Lehman doing? Why did he deserve such a high honorific? 1846 to start and the, the most perfectly <laughs> play-tested game to have all of these little fixes to make it, putting this in air quotes, they can't see, but work. Um, he also did Race for the Galaxy. He also did Roll for the Galaxy. He's also done. What else has he done? He's done everything. He's a, he's a he's a line dancer. I think he's literally everything good about board games. Michelin star cook. Thing. God, I wish. I wish he'd be my dad. <laughs> Top DJ. There's a professional golfer also with his name who's not. But That's true. <laughs> but yeah, so Res Arcana is this pretty cool little game where you are piecing together. Um, he also did New Frontiers, which is a board game we haven't played. We're piecing together different bits of like fantasy stuff to build this little engine to try to just freaking go. You know, it feels like to bring up an analogy, um, I used to play a lot of Warhammer 40K and a lot of orc technology just works because they believe it works. They being the orcs. And I feel like this game is assembling a whole bunch of um, orc technology together to try to build it together where it's like you're shoving together a dragon and like a hatchet to try to just make it the best engine you could ever dream it could be and you do that for a couple of rounds and then the game's over after 16 minutes and you say wow i got absolutely demolished by nick i would like to play again and then you do that for upwards of eight hours (laughs) and you call it a day it's great so this is the game that I think Furnace wanted to be. Mm. Th- these two have a lot in common with each other, ultimately. I mean, they're both kind of smaller little engine building games where you're converting something into something else and spending it to get a third thing. Yet mm. there's a snowballing effect with a Res Arcana that's incredibly satisfying as you just start building up your powers. And I'm not just fighting it out to get two little skulls. Now I'm getting 16 of them. But it's not because you're drawing more powerful cards. You have the same set of cards. So sure. the way we actually work in this game is you have eight cards. You're, you either draft them or you just have them. Um, and then you have a choice of one or two like special powers, which is who you are, your like, class of person. And then you just kind of go. But um, yeah, I, I, as, as an interesting comparison to Furnace, obviously I haven't played Furnace, but it's not like we always need a tiered deck to like engine builders. Well, but it is actually tiered because you can't, Let's back up a half a notch here. Res Arcana, you start with a deck of 12 cards, eight cards, not very many. Eight cards. I don't know, eight or 12, something like that. And they're all over the place. They're everything from simple little kind of one drops if you're a magic player, all the way up to like, you know, something that costs six or something like, you know, pretty expensive to put out there. And there's also bigger things on the table that you can buy and put out that have splashier powers. Oh, true. I forgot about the big things in the middle. Those are totally an escalation. Yeah. So. You have your eight cards and you got to make the best of what you have in the eight, the eight cards. And hopefully the things work out. Sometimes a few of the cards just don't really work with what you're doing and you just discard them to get resources. But right. not all the cards are affordable in the first couple of rounds. I mean, you have to just the first round or two, you might just discard them to get resources. And then by like rounds two or three, you can actually you've developed your economy enough that you can actually put those into play. So even though there's not new cards revealed, you don't have the ability to put every card into play round one. Gotcha. So it, it does tear. Yeah, you, you have to. I mean, I've done a couple of rounds where I do a dragon early and you end up kind of shooting yourself in the foot, just as mm-hmm. a generation. But it's just everything good about an engine builder. It's everything put together to be a good tableau builder, good engine builder, 
good whatever flavor and just works really well. I mean, the theme is absolutely throwaway. You don't feel like you're swinging a hatchet or anything, but it works well enough. It makes sense enough. And it's just really fun. Yeah. I too quite enjoy this game. I've gone all in on, you know, the, the base set plus the both expansions, which geez, it's as if that box was designed for expansions. Oh wait, it was. (laughs) <laughs> both See, Tom he's our fit guy. exactly perfectly inside the base box which he knew he knew what he had going and he it's just perfect he's just everything that's good in this world is due to him <laughs> i wanted to hate this game jake i really did that's I what did. you and were we, driving me crazy about it i, I was know just, i know i was so locked and loaded to hate this game well i i also find it funny to to bring you games <laughs> that you should like and have you try to figure out a way to dislike them i enjoy that because <laughs> um, like you, you were going to like this game, you know, and so I felt like I could lean into it more and more. But yeah, it's just it's so good. It's so freaking good. Yeah, I literally just I didn't want to dislike it other any, for any reason other than being marginally contrarian. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, certainly like if I like a game, I'm not going to dislike it just to be <laughs> just to be a jerk. Right. I'll certainly call myself wrong wherever. But I was hoping that I got to double dip and not liking it and give you crap about it. But no. Like literally halfway through the first game, I'm already on my phone Googling to get a copy of it mm-hmm. ordered and, and get it on the way and, you know, got hooked almost instantly. So since played this with my family, I played it with a large different groups on our Wednesday night thing. I've played it with some of my weekend groups and yeah, everybody's had a chance to play Res Arcana with me this last year. If you have a gaming group that can handle heavier games and can handle a game teach that takes longer than it is to play. This is really high up on that list of GameStone. I am really naturally gravitated towards that of Race Against the or Race for the Galaxy, Roll for the Galaxy, and this kind of game all existing in a similar spot in a gameplay standpoint of your first teach might take 30, 40 minutes, and then gameplays from that point on will take 20. But there's just something beautiful about a game that you can pull down and just play over and over and over again, and you always feel like you're going to get more out of it. It doesn't overstate its welcome, and this game just does it exceptionally well. Yeah, there's some iconography that isn't super obvious, right? You know, that I think every game, there's some card that pops up that I look at and I go, what? I have no, what the hell does this do? What? <laughs> What's it doing? Can you, what? Yeah, yeah, I, I do the same thing. And it's, I think they have a pretty decent, both BGG page and the confusing ones generally have like a little blurb about them. Mm-hmm. But with all these cards and all the ways they all interact, there's going to be issues, you know? Yeah, and that's so. exactly right. I mean, it's it's a bit like the, you know, the Magic the Gathering thing, right? Where there's this large mm-hmm. card pool and they all interact in funky, weird ways that maybe weren't mm-hmm. expected at the time that you put them out there. You know, large card pool for Res Arcana is, what, 120 cards? But you're playing with eight of them. Right. And yeah, other and people at the table are playing with eight of them, too. So in any given game, two thirds of the cards are not seeing the light of day. And that's great. That really, really means that the games have a huge variety in replayability. Every game goes down a little different and a little weird. And you don't know what game you're going to play in, <laughs> until you get your eight cards. Right. Um, the downside with this game is, though, if you don't have the group that wants to play it over and over again, I could see this being one of the most dissatisfying gameplay experiences in so long. Right. You spend kind of a hard time learning this weirder rule set. You play it once. It doesn't take that long. Even if you're new, it won't take longer than 30, 45 minutes. Right. Well, especially if you don't play with any of the expansions and it's done in eight points or whatever it is. Right. And then you're done. You're just like, what? Like I could see gamer game groups being like, what? What's going on here? But um, if I think you're the right flavor, which I think our group definitely is, it's like the perfect meaty filler. Yep. And everybody in our group knows how to play it now. So we can just sort of whip it out and just dive right in with it. Gotcha. You can also get ganked by the deal. I mean, not every set of eight cards works together. There are some that just you look at this and you just go, 
I have no idea what I'm going to do. None of this works together. Right. There is a draft option, I believe, or like some variant or something like that. I don't remember. It's honestly been so long since I've really dug into this. Um, when the the spring of res was really in full full swing. But yeah, there's some ways to do that where you can kind of mitigate it a bit. It's like some sort of draft. So could be cool. Yeah. So that is definitely one of my, I think it is my most played game this year so far with like 15 plays or something like that, which is a lot for me. Now it's a 15 minute game, but then a lot of, a lot of play sessions of it are two or three rounds. What would you give it on the mogul scale, my friend? I think we had a little bit of a uh, creative disagreement on this one. And I think we landed on 2C. Yeah. There's a lot of 0.5s on this episode, kind of keeping with it. Um, I think this one could be a 2.5. I think there's a case that's a 3C. There's a case that's a 2C. There's a case that's a 2D. There's some cases. There's a case probably it's a 2B. Kind of anywhere in that neighborhood, depending on how much you want to get out of it. I think 2C is the safest choice. Are you playing the base set or are you playing with all the expansions? Which we've always said it's the base set. We we, we review games or we don't review games. We, we give mobile scores to games, not to expansions. So. Well, true, but... Also, the canon way for both of us to play is with all the expansions. 100%. 100%. So, if Res Arcana, to me, is with Lux at Empyria or whatever it is. And, and the, Pearl Lake, yeah, whatever. Yeah, the Pearl yeah. Lake Cum Laudas. So, before we move on to our next big meaty game, Tom Lehman is also into Contradance. Do you know what Contradancing is? On his little website. I googled this once, and he has two different pages on his website. A Contra page and a board game page. I don't know what contra dancing is. I think I've heard of it, but it's modern. Oh, pardon. I took up concert dance. This is Tom's website. After many years of modern Western square dancing, as well as occasional folk dancing. After a year and a half, I began writing contras and started calling at open callers nights. Since then, I've called numerous full evenings and written well over a hundred contras, many of which I've dis- since discarded. Here are my current dances. What is that? That's so square cool. dance caller. Yeah, I think it's like supposed to be something where it's like, you know, that awkward scene in A Knight's Tale where they're like dancing in like a in like a square, but mm-hmm. like all together. I think that's it. What a cool little thing. What an interesting person Tom <laughs> Linus is. Like he makes 18xx games and freaking lightweight fillers. And he also has Contra and he's really mean on BGG. Man, I don't have a spirit ammo, but if I did, it'd be Tom freaking Layman. Love that dude. What a cool guy. One of my college roommates just took up square dancing also. What is this? Is this a thing now? Yeah, you're going to have to click Tom Tom Lehman's Contra page. It's just so many interesting things. He has a whole page on his current dances. You click it, and he's got the 24th of August. What does that mean? Then you click it, and there's neighbor Almond right one, two, to make long wavy lines. Gent face in, ladies face out. Balance the wave. What does that mean? This is so cool. Like, it seems like I'm being like a little bit mean to him, but I'm, this is fascinating. You know, I just really drew a spiritual line between marching band and square dancing, too. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's like some like kind of almost marching band, both a group. Yeah, they're, cool. they're not that far apart. I never drew I never drew that comparison before, but marching band is kind of a weird form of square dancing. The ones marked with an asterisk I perceive the best. Anyhow, cool. Tom Lehman's a cool dude. I like people that are passionate about weird stuff because I'm passionate about weird stuff. So awesome. And I'm also passionate about Res Arcana. Good game. Awesome. All right. Let's talk about the game that literally everybody on the planet's been talking about this year as we're we're talking about games that made a big splash. It's a a big box. It's a big game. It's long. And uh, like their conversation will be as well. So, Jake, Mm. if you were to pick the breakout hit of the year and the theme that that had wrapped around it, would it be space exploration? Maybe. Trains? Maybe. Miniatures Warfare, maybe. High Fantasy, perhaps. 
No. How about zoo building, Jake? I didn't think about zoo building, to be honest. I didn't see zoos. People like ant. No, you know what? I, I would say animals. I think wingspan exposed yeah. the theme that I think more people should should do. You can get a lot of pretty high quality art for pretty cheap. People know what elephants are. We like what do they call it? Um megafauna. Um oh, bios megafauna and so forth. No, the, yeah, no, I, no, I can't remember like, what it's called. Like nobody's um, played that, Jake. Even the people that own it, like me, haven't played it. It's called and people like you. You're charismatic. Charismatic oh, sure. megafauna. People like charismatic megafauna and uh, make a whole game about it. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. So obviously we're talking about the runaway hit this year, Arc Nova, designed by Matthias Wiggy, um, published by Capstone Games. You know, if you haven't heard of it yet, what rock have you been under? In fact, I actually feel a little dumb talking about it since kind of everybody and their mother talked about it like three months ago. But here Dude, we are me. not following trends know. once again. I didn't know. Who knows? <laughs> I didn't even know. I didn't even know this was a big game. Like I had no idea. I clicked it and they're like, oh, it's already number four on BGG. Okay. Yes. Cool. Go off, King. Let's go, dude. <laughs> Matias, he's just slinging it. Love it. <laughs> so what it is, is it is a, you know, it is a tableau game where ultimately right. you're building a tableau of animals that are residents in your zoo. You have a hex board where you have to lay out zoo cages and you, of course, have to put your animals into cages at the zoo. And those animals all give you generally some sort of benefit or bonus and additional powers or things that they do. It's indirectly abstracted to where you have to simultaneously have appeals so that people come to your zoo, you know, which is the appeal track. You also are trying to save the environment and be a good conservator towards that. Not to mention, too, you're advancing the study of animals as well. So there's like a uh, edu- competency education. So complaint number one in the game, and I have very few of them, I promise. Every time we play this one, somebody goes, what's the name of that track again? Oh, it's, dude, it's so There's such dumb. throwaway names. It's so dumb. And and the other fr- frustrating thing is the appeal is literally tickets. Just call it tickets, bro. Yes. Just, just call the it ticket sales. Track. Just call it ticket, t- ticket sales. You don't need to call it appeal. Yeah, it happened with Tyler. He's like, so what's the what's the conservation track? It's like, it's the green one, dude. Your little elephant's been marking, marching there the whole time. That's what you want to do. That's like the big one. Um, yep. It does do yep. that thing, though, that does um, at least somewhat similar in the splatter game, um, The Great Zimbabwe, where you get to kind of choose. So, so many of these games, you have victory point track, right? And it's whoever's just furthest along it after a certain arbitrary time. In the Great Zimbabwe, they have this thing where you can pick up these powers, but they make your finish line for the um, victory points further away. This kind of does it in a similar way where you have two different checks, tracks, one being conservation that marches from high victory points down to low victory points, and then victory points, kind of attendee, that marches the other way. And once your guys meet, that ends the game, which is a pretty cool concept, and I've wanted more games to do it. And it really actually gives you a little bit of freedom to sort of decide how you want to be. I played a game literally where I had just nothing but like petting zoos and water parks. And I was pretty much Valley Fair, right? I was a paved over hell. Of, you, were, you were the Tiger King? What, yeah, what was, was that like, guy's name? I was like Como Zoo here in Minneapolis. <laughs> no, Como Zoo is nice. You don't give me the same, Paul. It is, but I feel a little bad for some of the giant animals. that are. You were being Tiger King. You were being that. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel bad for him too. I mean, I think all zoos are a little sad, but. We have this little tiny zoo here in Minneapolis, St. Paul called Como Zoo, which actually, like, I like going there too, just because I right. have fond memories of it. It's just really, you can really get up close to things and so forth, but it is a tiny little zoo and they have some animals that are probably too big to be in that zoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you, it's, it's, yeah, and you can certainly see the Joe Exotic play style here, you know, of just biggest animals and petting zoos and garbage. And there's also like the scientific track where you're going to 
really have only upscale zoos, release a bunch of stuff out to the to the outside and everything. But dude, I see why this game really hit different though. It's so many good things from so many different games put mm-hmm. together in a way that just makes like BGG board gamers freaking go wild, right? So it's similar to Terraforming Mars. The presentation's a lot cleaner. It has a pretty awesome replayability because it has so many cards like Wingspan. And then even with the on Wingspan, it's a really approachable theme. It's published well. It is infinitely replayable because there's so many different cards, different maps, different things to do. And it's just a really good experience. I mean, this is like almost like a AI generated by looking through BGG game that'll do really well. <laughs> yeah. And it it's one that definitely rewards replayability. I mean, the first time I played 100%. it, I scored like minus 24. Then the next time I scored like minus 18, then minus 12, then minus four. You know, literally mm-hmm. every single time I've played it, I've scored about seven to 10 points more than the last time I played it. And, you know, I feel like every time I've just optimized my play a little bit more and now I know to do this and I get more right. out of every turn and you start finding some of the little niche tricks you can do. And really every play gets better with it. No, completely agree. And I think this is the kind of game that we should have more of in this board game. But at the same time, if every game becomes this, it gets really tiring in the board game industry, right? Because this game is really a game that should be played a few times, right? Yep. And I've played it twice now, one and a half times, really. And I just want to tear into this game. You know, I want to just really get under there, figure out what's going on. We have a board game weekend coming up, and I could totally see myself playing this three times over that weekend. Well, you, know? you, you hit it with an acronym this morning, Jake, that uh, was high praise. What was that? It's something that might be in your petting zoo. I still don't know. Arc Nova starts, with, no. starts with a G, ends with a T. This little fuzzy beard and comes up and butts you in the goat. Butt. Oh, it's goat. Yeah, I was explaining to you guys what goated meant. That was fun to explain <laughs> to the olds. Oh, I, I was on it, but it's... it's you it, well, you yeah, got I mean, the youths. It's the right term, but it also fits with the theme. 100%. Yeah, I mean, this this game is great. I mean, it's it's really good. I see why people like it. But almost as a comparison between this two and, and Shinkansen, the railway game, they're, they're almost like two different flavors of the board game industry. It's neat that this game exists and they can play it so much, but it's also sad that every game tries to be this because then we're just watering down the plays that you get of this flavor of game, you know, which really deserves it. So fun fact, and I don't I don't know if you knew this or not, but I guess I was told that the designer of the game, Matthias Wiggy, was a hardcore magic player from for years and years and years. And magic was a lot of his inspiration behind that. And you start thinking about all the cards that are in there and how they have oh, yeah. you know, costs and conditions and they all kind of interact together. And you can definitely see where that came from. Totally. Yeah. Is it, what what are those called? Those where they're just like six six or whatever, four four bears or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, is there like a name for that? Like, I can't remember what the term is, but they're just like Little fatties. Is it no, not the big ones, but when they're just like a boring card, like a two, one, yeah, whatever oh yeah. uh, bears, right? Is it bears or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, you yeah. can totally tell that they vanilla formulaically, cards. yeah, vanilla, they like formulaically put these cards together. Not all of them, but a lot of them are, they all make sense. And I think people that I've played with that are really into magic think that board games are like underbalanced or something. And I think this would be a great game to present to them like, no, they get it. They understand how board games work and how to make a good card market make a lot of sense. It totally makes sense. This guy's into magic. Yeah. And when you have, I don't know, geez, what's the card pool on this thing? 160 cards, probably minimum at minimum. It's got, I might even be more than that might be like 400. There's a lot, but I continue to be amazed at how thematic a lot of these, a lot of these cards are too. You know, like you get the koala bear and koala bear is like kind of the, you know, national animal of Australia. And you can't put it into play unless you've made a significant investment into Australia. Gotcha. 
And just there's so many little things like that. Just you look at that and go, ah, oh, that's totally the that makes sense. That totally <laughs> makes sense. Great. Yeah, release a big uh, thing into North America, and then you get something. There's 255 cards. Okay, sure. that's like two freaking commander decks. They got this tuned in. I tell you what. Now here's what I think is the greatest part about this game, Jake. It's not the 255 cards. It's the five cards. Right, and that's I think the other thing too. This is what's great about this game. Right. And I think it really works into your brain style. So there's, it's, it's one of those games. I almost think this is like a Lacerda thing where you can say, okay, there's only five actions you take in this game. There's five card actions. You are doing those five actions. That's all you're doing in the entire game at a certain tier. So there's a, there's a sliding scale. And depending on what action you take, you take it at that whatever level it is, left being one, right being five. And then you slide it all the way down to the level one. And then everything conveyor belts up in, in, its, in its space. So it like needs so, a cool off, right? You can take yeah. that action twice in a row. It's just going to suck the second time you do it. Right. And you can, of course, make those actions a little better with little spiffs that you pick up and all that stuff. And it ends up working really well. But you say it's five actions, but the amount of flow chart on some of those five actions can be a little complicated. And no, some of those yeah, actions no, as well, no question. You, you take an action and then you have four choices once you get there to that separate sideboard that you know, you're taking an action on. But still, it only counts as one action. I do love the fact, though, that that initial decision tree isn't even really five things. It's more like two or three, because two of them are so bad because they're low-powered that you would never in a million years do that. Like, you can't even put an animal out at power one. So, all right, now it's not a five-card decision tree. It's a four-card decision tree. That does make a way of kind of kicking the game up. This is one place where it compares and contrasts versus uh, Terraforming Mars. You, there aren't blue actions. None of the cards ever become actions. Unlike the blue cards in Terraforming Mars, where all of a sudden you're like, okay, I've got seven. Now I have nine different things I can do. Now I have 14 different things I can do. Doesn't do that. You only ever have five things you can do, but you're 100% right. Some of those sub actions get quite involved and just like explaining the conservation stuff, funding the conservation projects and that whole sub board takes a while. That's not yeah. easy. No, completely. And I, I agree. I, I can understand why somebody would prefer this to other things in the Terraforming Mars. And it's such a good learning from that game and applying other aspects to it that make it really good. I, I honestly think there's a lot of Vital Asserta in here, too. Um, for sure. I hadn't thought of that till you just mentioned it, but you're not wrong. Yeah, this this subset of games. What's the one that's um, in Portugal? Lisboa. This Lisboa. game reminded me of Lisboa quite a bit, where it's like, oh, it's just pick a card, play a card, or whatever. It's like, sure. stop. You know, there's like seven different tracks that you can move up, a bunch <laughs> of different spiffs that you pick up on every single one, a bunch of weird limitations that you run in on every single one of the tracks, and you have to move up this track a bit so that you can get the spiff to be able to move up this other track, and all this stuff, you know, like, like it's, it's, it's not fair to call that. But also you can say, oh, it's the decision tree is small, which totally makes sense, which I think is that big Vitalis sort of thing where you're really seeing it seeing beyond but for my very limited play i think this has a lot of depth to it because i think a lot of the um fun in vitalis Erta games is feeling like you get it and i don't think that's as much the case here and that's from a self-diagnosed vitalis Erta skeptic so take that as as you will yeah I, I can certainly see that and i think that's you know one of the things that does appeal to me probably but right yeah it makes sense yeah i mean if, if you were to play if you were to play this game next to terraform mars i would absolutely know you'd like arc nova more Right. And right. so that's my yeah. follow-up question. And I'm going to grill you a little bit here because we've had a summer off. So we got to get the spice back. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to give some, some word association. I just want to give good or bad, just rapid fire. 1846. <laughs> okay. 1846. Two words, good and suck. Okay. Yeah. You suck, but yeah. <laughs> 1880. <laughs> Goat. Good. Yeah. Res Arcana. 
Good. That game, Gugong. Good. Okay, Terraforming Mars. Good. No, don't you lie to these people. Don't you get out here and <laughs> freaking lie to them. Mark, for years, has been a Terraforming Mars skeptic. Well, and he's always said, you know, I've had some bad plays of it. I don't get it. It's ugly, which we all agree with. And um, the clop tier of the, uh, the the family freaking loves Terraforming Mars. We freaking play it all the time. We love it. We think it's great. <laughs> okay, there's a, ba- there's a backstory here, Jake. Oh, I'm sure there is. And so then we're just still playing the word association game. Okay. They're, they're, okay. They're, I'll, then after we play Terraforming Mars, I just know Mark doesn't like it. I've kind of given up on sharing this lovely game with him that I really enjoy. Even though Mark loves space, Mark's a big space boy. He loves it. He loves it up there. And so now we're presented, I'm playing Ark Nova and halfway through it, I'm like, wait, Mark likes this game? This is just Terraforming Mars? Explain to the crowd. Explain to the crowd how this is different. <laughs> and explain your historic dislike of Terraforming Mars and why this hot new game called Ark Nova is enough to, to, to warm your cold heart. Okay. Yes. All of the things that both of us have said are true. And, you know, the world we live in, multiple things can be simultaneously true. Mm-hmm. Not allowed. Yes, they can. Uh, multiple things can be simultaneously true. I can be skeptical about Terraforming Mars and I can love it all at the same time. And I can love, I can paradoxically love Ark Nova at the same time. How do all of these things exist in the same world? I have come to learn that it is not terraforming Mars that I hate. It's engine mm. builders. Mm. And this is not an engine builder. There's an engine building theme to that. I mean, you certainly get things that power stuff up, but I'm, that is not I'm, the I'm main. Turning, I'm turning my head sideways here slightly while, while, while half smiling here. That is not the main flavor of the game. I think it, you can choose to not have it be an engine builder. Okay, let me let me rephrase that. Exponentially growing engine builders. Mm. Like ultimately, I would say Imperial Settlers is an exponentially growing engine builder and that they were smart enough to slam the brakes on before it goes to a point where it's painful to play. Like right. I love Imperial Settlers. I'm not shading Imperial Settlers at all, but we both agree it would suck if it was five rounds. Well, isn't it five rounds? It'd suck if it's six rounds. Whatever, one more than it is. If it's N1, N plus one, yeah. The, the, N plus the, one, whatever it is. It's it's one of those that it ends at literally the last possible moment that it's still tolerable. Right, because the next one would be just so self-congratulating. It'd just be you just getting up on a stage and clapping your own hands. Correct, Self, self-flagellating, self you know, take your pick. But And that, that was honestly my problem with Terraforming Mars is that I played a five, six, five, whatever the max player count, five... I played a five player game of this that took six hours once that it was 25 minutes from turn to turn. And I I never wanted to play the game again. It just, Mm. it hurt so bad. Mm. Everybody was being super competitive and really AP about it. And then the game just magnified by itself where you kept getting blue cards and everybody would take 10 minutes to figure out which order to play their blue cards in. And I I wanted nothing more to do with it. I sold my copy of it. I just, I was out. I'm like, ah, what a horrible experience that was. Hand wash it. So do you think that Ark Nova then by extension has things put in place to not allow it to be a six hour game? Yes. Interesting. I would actually hard disagree. And I have played that with the exact same people that ruined terraforming Mars for me. And it took half the time. Gotcha. Cause I would imagine a lot of AP that could settle in with this is that card market. And maybe because you're not able to snipe or swap or whatever it's called, snap, snap certain cards, unless you're at a certain threshold, you can limit yeah, it's that. It's very limited what you can do. But my guess is, and again, this is very limited play. I've only played one and a half times so far. My guess is you could still get really into that, you know, and be like, okay, well, I do want that card. I do want that card. Or maybe because the cards are so even, we're in Terraforming Mars, 
they're they're kind of binary. They're either helpful or something you can do, or just like I don't even want to look at it. Maybe because these are more even in Arc Nova, you just the draws are a little bit better. So like I don't know. I I, I could imagine a lot of the complaints that you have against Terraformer is also being present in this from my limited perception. I'm sure you've played it more, and I'm willing to trust you on it, but. Yeah, there are actually so many limitations around that central market. Of the six cards that are out there, generally three of them you're not interested in. Oh, yeah. You know, due to a variety of things. They're too expensive. I'm not collecting birds. I'm not. I don't need a conservation project because I don't have any African animals. There's there's generally three of them you can completely ignore. And then, like you said, a lot of times you can only grab from the bottom two or three cards anyway. So if right. the bottom so don't even look right. So it's not even worth looking at the top four. So it very aggressively, in many cases, calls the decision tree down to two or three things. And, you know, yeah, you can get AP over those two or three things, but there's not much point in really trying to plan out a long term strategy around what cards are on the table. You've got your cards in your hand and not much is going to change for you between the next round. So it's not like you have to plan out a long term strategy and you can't start thinking about it till it comes around to you. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I like both games, to clarify. I think both are, are good in their own ways, and I, I, I don't think that you would say this game fired the other or whatever that thing we all like to do is. But both have a lot of depth to me, and I've, I find them more similar, and I've heard people saying they're not similar at all. Um, I find them very similar. I find it this one's a little more heads down because you're focused on your own stuff versus a community Mars board. And the cards are, as you said, a little bit more not going to apply, you know, um, in certain mm-hmm. ways. So... Yeah, I, I think it's really cool. I just do think they're a same ilk of game. I don't know what to call them, but I do think they're quite similar. I do have a funny epilogue to all of this and why I answered, why I can simultaneously say that I hate it and I love it. Mm. I recently, you know, I introduced over the summer, I introduced Dark Nova to my family and it's really taken off. I mean, my mm-hmm. kids are now teenagers and they literally can play everything in my closet at this point. Mm-hmm. They, they understand very heavy euros and are great at them. So there was no question that they would be able to play this game and love it. So. I, on any given Friday night, have a four-person game of Ark Nova that I can fire up in my house that everybody's excited about playing. They've mm. really, really, really taken into it. So, And everybody's getting pretty good at it, too. So it's a, it's a pretty competitive game. But my son, who is pretty witty and getting a little bit of a mouth on him at 16, every time we get done playing, just we'll sit back and go, oh, man, that game was great. That was so much freaking fun. Reminds me of some other game we used to have. Ah, what was it? Um, hmm. Ah, except space. Man, I love the space team. It was in space. Yeah, that was it. I know. Right. Oh, yeah. It's terraforming Mars. Dad, why did you sell that? So like every single game, he would just throw shade at me about, yeah, it'd be well, great if we it, had terraforming Mars. It makes so, sense. Well, and then what's one of your favorite TV and book series? Oh, The Martian. Yeah, and space. And, and Well, and beyond that, too. Um, the Expanse. The Expanse. And then what's yep. your favorite faction within The Expanse? Uh, yep, the MCRN. Yep, yep, uh, yep. Which is Martian Congressional Republic Navy, I think, is what our yep, MCRN yep. stands for. So you like Mars. I do. Uh, oh, yeah. Everything, it literally. Everything. You also don't like animals very much. So that, that even confuses more. No, this is true. You are just an enigma. Humans are so interesting. <laughs> this is great. Oh, yeah. Literally every component I should love. So anyway, what ended up happening was kind of as a joke, not joke, Terraforming Mars was on sale on Prime Day for like twenty four ninety nine oh, awesome. or something like that. That's so sweet. I may have picked up a copy for my son for his birthday after all the crap he's been giving me about selling it. Um, so awesome. yes, I rebought a copy of Terraforming Mars and I bought Prelude to fix my other beef with the game that it's too damn long. So now gotcha. it's not too damn long. Gotcha. And so with Prelude and Terraforming Mars, uh, we played it as a family and I had an awesome time playing it. And I I'm won. I'm happy to hear that. I, it's, it's, it's a good game. Oh, 
By the way, my win rate on terraforming Mars is like 65% too. So You're I don't just know too good for it. It's, 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 it's no, it's no challenge for you. I'm weirdly yeah. good at it. I think I like that game and my family likes that game because we yada yada through a lot of turns. And so, or pardon me, I'm speaking of terraforming Mars specifically. Yeah, I'm doing these two things. You can just go ahead. You know, like it's not going to affect you. Go ahead. And I think that can rub a lot of gamers the wrong way. And not every group does that. So I think maybe mm-hmm. we're a bit precluded to like terraforming Mars a bit more than you should. I'm really stoked on Arc Nova. We got that board game weekend coming up in a bit. And I mean, I, I, I literally could say I would play Arc Nova as my only game for that weekend and fillers. Like I, I would do that. I don't think we will, but I could. That's that's and I, I feel like that's pretty high praise for a game. Ooh, let me get out my recorder from last night's game night. Hey, do you think we could talk John into playing 18XX sometime over the weekend? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, well, the other issues, I, I don't know. I don't know if I need to because we have Arc Nova. I wasn't <laughs> saying we have to. I was just saying, could we? Could we talk John into doing it? Not, not will we? Yeah, I think we can. Yeah, I definitely no, want to play it's, it's, this, this is the flavor of game that I think is so cool. And the reason why I come back to gaming is just there's so much to learn, so much to do and you know, you, you found a game that you like and you can play it so differently and you're not always trying to optimize. You're really trying to learn and figure out the systems. And it's really cool. I'm, I'm happy this game exists. I'm happy. I'm usually not a big proponent of the board game industry. I don't think they're always doing a good job. But you know what? This seems like they learned. They put some good market research into stuff and they figured out what people like about games. And they just picked a lot of good stuff and put it together in a really palatable way. Yep. Obviously, they've already announced that... Uh the expansion to it that's coming up next year is going to be marine life. Makes sense. Adding out, so it's like an aquarium expansion and I, I'm all in. Yeah, totally. That sounds great. So before we wrap this up, what do the uh, contrarians say about this game? It's too complicated, too interlocking. What's the complaints? You're not affecting in each other, really? Actually, there haven't been many contrarians. Really? It's, it's that flavor of game. We're all just getting together. We're throwing politics and contrarianism aside. We all agree that Ark Nova is good. Love it. I think the big complaint about it is, is that it is um, a more difficult game than it purports to be, right? I mean, it's got a very yeah. approachable, very touchy-feely theme. It's the a pretty effect. difficult game. Yeah, the root effect. Yeah. Yes, the root effect. Mm-hmm. So I think that's I think that's the big beef about it, is that it's it's crunchier than it should, than people think it is. It can run long. Like, it, we've certainly had some games run a bit long on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, the biggest one. Uh, the biggest concern is that finishing the game with negative points is feel bad. Mm, okay. You know, I don't, I don't mind, but you know, Hey, I just worked for all this time and you got 34 points and I got minus 16. That, uh, that, that punch doesn't land well with everybody. Gotcha. 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 Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's cool. I think it is complicated. This is a gamer's game. I don't think this is a game for anybody um i would really advise against people who aren't indoctrinated with a pretty replayable group to try this i would also be annoyed in a game group if i played this once and i didn't see it for six months did you guys play it with the uh the gotcha that the take that cards no we didn't brent advised us not to yeah he like asked what we want to do and he's like it's like at a beginner i think we could add them in easily though i think the way he boarded it and you can correct me if i'm wrong on this but it was like it they're kind of six one way half a dozen and another but you could be a little bit more taking turns at the same time to speed up gameplay a little bit in the non gotcha way. I think that's fair. And you know, thematically the gotcha stuff doesn't really make sense. Like, yeah, really? like my monkeys my, aren't my, coming my, over my, to steal your stuff. My monkeys are thoroughly right. in, in the, <laughs> my uh, zoo's not going to attack your zoo. Right. hundred percent. Maybe we could in a cool, fun fantasy world, but 
I thought it was really cool. I'm really wanting to play it a bunch. Um, I'll be disappointed if I don't get at least a couple of plays and at the cabin weekend, but um, it's pretty cool. It's what the cool guys are doing nowadays, I guess. And we're just down with the hotness. We're just going to chase that clout, dude. And we're actually going to rate this thing on the mogul scale a 4D. 4D. Due to the fact that there is kind of a surprising lot going on. There's a, uh, more rules complexity than you would guess. And there's also a lot of complexity through the 255 individual cards mm-hmm. and how to play them out. I think there's a case that if you really wanted to, um, depending on when five starts, you could call this game a five. You know, I mean, obviously there's a lot more other games that are clearly a lot more complicated and have bigger things going on. But I mean, if we look at other fours in our in our little thing, I think there's maybe a case that this is slightly heavier than that, maybe a 4.5. Well, and judging by the number of rules mistakes that were made in the first playthrough, oh, 100%. Jeez. Jeez, we had a lot of things that we, whoops, there was a whole pile of rules that even on like play five, it was like, oh, missed by that one, all way. of these plays. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. So Kirk, Tyler, and I, the kind of people in my family that have played games, we all kind of taken a little bit of time off of uh, really diving in. And it's funny because Kirk will still bring a game or two up to the cabin. And this one was always set up and Kirk was like, no, let's try it. And we almost got it pulled out with none of us knowing the rules, like Kirk reading the rules to us at a game night. Ooh. And I am so thankful we didn't do that at the cabin because that would have been like, a, oh, geez, what is going on? This is what modern games are like. I've been out for this long and now they're doing this crazy stuff. Like, what's going on, man? But <laughs> thankfully we didn't. So um, and I got to play it with somebody already new and freaking love it. So good game. It's awesome. That is Arc Nova by Matthias Wiggy Capstone Games. Definitely one we'll have probably more to talk about in the future as we dive in deeper. Absolutely. All right. Well, it's good. Cool. You know, what would be a moguls episode, Jake, without talking about some 18xx? So let's talk about some 18xx for a few minutes here. Yes, we must talk about 18xx. And you are the 18xx boy, not me. Inform me about what's going on. (laughs) Sure. I think that uh, we'll start with an old favorite and end on a new favorite. How about that? Let's not throw that favorite word around, my friend. I don't know if I like the second one very much, but go ahead. Mm, Okay, Mm. you're you're the one being contrarian here. Oh, I'm a big contrarian. I have complaints to their game, and it's been a while since I played it, so it almost feels unfair to even bring them up but go ahead i have looped around back to playing 1849 several times recently with uh, some of my stalwart online gaming buddies including josh and fek and ira and so forth of 18xx games i've played probably the most games of 1849 i've played a lot of games of 1849 yeah if you if you were to get an 18xx game tattooed on you would definitely be 1849 for sure love everything about this game love every play of it Having said that, it had been a year or so since I had played it. And so the the first game was intensely rusty, rusty to the point where I bought up all, I gleefully bought all the privates, then launched a company just in time for Eric to steal it from me. (laughs) And I got properly salty with him and then proceeded to lose badly. Gotcha. But then we ran it back instantly. And um, that game was intensely weird where one of the weird things about 1849 is you have an opening flop of companies and you have to start them in exactly that order. And it's one of those that became uh, the ultimate Sicilian standoff on who didn't want to buy that crappy little company down in the Southwest, the pink one that everybody hates. So I had the most privates once again, but I was smart enough to play the investor game. So I just sat back from multiple rounds, raking in my <laughs> raking in my investment winnings as everybody was trying not to buy that one. And uh, finally got to the point where low man on the totem pole, Ira, couldn't wait any longer, had to buy it. And that was mm. the 
the lodestone that brought him to the bottom of the uh, Mediterranean. Man, I've been enjoying playing this game again because I feel like uh, these games have gone off really crazy and really hard fought. Um, I'm in one right now that I almost rage quit again <laughs> because I got a company dumped on me by Eric and who like torched it on the way out. And of course, well, why would you dump it if you're not going to torch it? Well, I know. And it, it's funny. Like, I mean, I was already in bad shape and already crippled. So I'm like, dude, really? Why? But Eric's like, come on, man, just, just hang it out. I actually think you're in a pretty good spot. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll be a good sport and play it out. I'm actually quite a bit. At this moment. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the Mark so, classic. You can't dump on you too much. Cause then you're worried about, I still, I still will find a way to screw this up and not win. Yeah. hundred percent. But you can't overdump yet because then you're worried about um, getting the rage quit. The uh, my position's an un- unwinnable claim. Yeah. Well, and I don't know. You know, it's it, it's mindset, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a mean game and you have to expect mean things to happen. I just I don't default to that mindset. Like mm-hmm. I don't default on how can I screw somebody with track or I don't default to. Oh, that's all I do. The, the first thing is how do I get a run? And then after that, it's how can I be as mean as humanly possible to whoever's next to me? You know, can I upgrade something so they can't upgrade and get in? Oh, there's no better feeling. There's no better yeah. feeling. I'm a little bit more of a just the, uh, hey, let's let's all run well and I'll run 10 bucks better than you. That's a little bit more my style rather than I'll run 100 bucks better than you because I torpedoed you. I don't know. It's, it's not enough to win. Others must fail. So. Yeah, true. So anyway, just wanted to call out how much fun I'm having playing 1849 again. The last few games have <laughs> really had a lot of fireworks with That's them. Great. Happy to hear. It's it's one of the reminders as to why this is one of my favorite 18xx's and it's so perfectly designed. And for the squad who care about this stuff, I don't know who's into the Jake 18xx lore. I do think this game's fantastic. This is a favorite for sure. This game's great. Yep, it's one of the meaner ones. It's you know desperately poor, and it's one of those that if you put a foot out of place, you're gonna get punished badly. You gonna get slapped around for show. Sure. And the last one I wanted to talk about, which apparently we have some differences of opinion on, is The Old Prince, 1871. Yeah. Right. And this is set in Prince Edward's Island in Canada, one of the yes. smallest, um, what do they call those over there? Not states, provinces, mm-hmm. where they grow the potatoes. So I played this game quite some time ago. And under weirder circumstances, it was kind of during the height of COVID. It was weirder player counts. It was via B18. And I think I tried it again when it got put on to, because it's on 18 dot, dot games now, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Been like that for a while, right? I think I've played it a couple of times on that yes. games. So with those caveats, this is just the branch of 18xx I don't love. You know, they always say there's like the 1830 derivatives. There's like the 1835, I want to say, derivatives. And there's like the 1829 derivatives. I think, I'm sorry, I could be wrong on all those things. 1835 is being like the small companies, 1830 being the like, float 10x shares dump down all that stuff and then 1829 being the games where it's kind of more historical based you know you kind of build up some companies and you can put them into receivership and stuff like that and historically i just haven't liked games that have been under that my other complaint with this game is i just felt like the game was kind of playing itself i didn't really have a lot of decisions to make in it so Hmm. see i would think um you know a big chunk of this game is uh so the auction is weird in this game oh it's super weird how you actually get your private companies is 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 really unique and different and actually super gamey. Uh-huh. And the metagame that you're playing is highly dependent on that. So the style of game that you play 
is really dependent on what you end up with in that opening auction. Mm. But a big chunk of how the game plays out is hostile mergers, and you're kind of Mr. Hostile Merger guy. <laughs> so I, I like would think that. this would be a little more up your alley. Yeah, I, I don't know. I also think I like games where I know the geography, and not to be mean to the, to the wonderful people of Prince Edward Island, but like, it's kind of the same thing with Asinaboya 1882, where it's like, <laughs> you've just never heard of the place. That's not a real place. You know, like I, I like when mm-hmm. I'm running to Milwaukee from Minneapolis, I like that. And so couple that with not really liking that offshoot of games and just being a little confused with my plays. I just generally was like, eh, I'm going to not think about this one for a while, but sure, sure. I'm, I'm down to change. If you think it's dope, I'm uh, proselytize me. Is it just the mergers that you think I like or, or what else do you think I'd like? Well, it, it's really different. Like it's it feels fresh, right? I mean, it's one of those it took me three or four games to even figure out how to play it. We've been running for an hour and a half right now. So I think it's one that we could probably talk about for a longer period of time once we've had a chance to play it together. Right, right, right. It really feels different than a lot of other 18xx games and kind of a, a fresh new take on the 18xx model that. Yes, there are some things that are historic in there, but it's surprisingly gamey from that perspective, too. I mean, it's not just the, hey, here's a weird history thing that is kind of bad gameplay wise. It actually all sort of makes sense. Right. Which is, again, I'm going to people are going to get so mad at me, but that's that was my perception. when I played 29 of Scott. Obviously, we didn't play in a good player count um, number or anything like that, but it just felt like bad historical reasons. I'm not saying that this game did this. I just think that my decisions were really based on kind of what was available to me and they were pretty I felt like the game was kind of playing itself. It was cool, and I thought it was a neat game that was playing itself, but it was not necessarily something that I would be normally gravitated. It's interesting because um, I that playing itself is not something at all that I would describe this game as because, mm. like, for example, the train roster is just crackpot in this game. Yeah. I mean, there's 12 ranks of trains or something like that. So, I mean, there's literally a rusting event on every single one of them. So it's one of those that, in most cases, just how do, like, you definitely do not want to go buy three, two trains. Cause then you're just, you're forced buying a six for sure. Totally. Um, totally. You know, so it's one of those that you really just go, Hmm, I really should only buy one of these. And do I really want to buy a three? Because boy, that four is going to be around just right around the corner from that. So there's a lot of really hard decisions about what trains do I buy and how do I run them? And, um, you know, it's this weird mix of there's hex trains that migrate into plus trains, which migrate into normal trains, which migrate into diesels <laughs> at the end. Right. And each one of those has to be played differently. And if you overspend on trains, you're dead. It's yeah, just totally. that simple. So I would like to try it again. And I think it'd be worthwhile to to circle back to it, especially because it is a boy game. It could be interesting. But yeah, that was just my my early takes on it was like, I don't have enough time to do all this 18xx games. I would so much rather spend my time on something that I know I'm going to like. So sure, sure. So anyway, I'm sure one we can talk about a lot more in the future if we ever get together and play it in person, which makes it challenge because it's self-published. So unless your boy (laughs) bucks up and plays it, I guess we're stuck in playing it on dot games. That's fine. I mean, when do we play 18xx in person anymore, buddy? For sure. Yeah. But anyway. Well, this was good. Happy we did this. This is fun. Awesome. Yeah, boy. It's uh, it's one of those that, you know, after you go run that marathon for the first time in several years, you know, you're going to be sore tomorrow, but it felt really great and can't wait to do this again. Yeah, completely agree. It was, it was nice. And uh, I think expect to hear more from us. We've said that before, but I think this time is the truest version of that. It's getting cold here. We have a pile of gaming coming up here in the next oh, week, so yeah. I guarantee we'll have stuff to talk about. Yeah, no, no question whatsoever. So should be great. It was good talking to you, buddy, and uh, excited to do the next episode, play games with you all weekend. 
Likewise. Sounds great, Jake. Well, for the gaming moguls, I'm Mark. And I'm Jake. Good night, everybody. This has been the Gaming Moguls Podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Gaming Moguls. Or reach us via email, jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.